This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Genesis chapter 49, two chapters left in the book of Genesis. However, chapter 49 is a really important chapter in the future and where we're headed. And obviously we're going to be headed into Exodus. And we want to be able to see what God's doing. It is a interesting chapter in that the style of the chapter is actually, for the most part, this is true. It is poetry and it's almost like a song. And it's a song about the future of the tribes of Israel. And so it is a, it's real important, but it yields so much good stuff. And when I say so much good stuff, it, it's important. So it shouldn't be hooked because, well, in, in, in this chapter, it is, it is the future of what is going to happen. There's a lot of prophecy in this chapter. There's a lot of understanding about life and about how things are and about the future. It is it is Israel coming in and telling his sons what they're going to be, what's going to happen because of their character. It is a lot of results-oriented Bible teaching, just more than you can imagine. In Psalm 49, 1, it says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I might tell you what shall befall you in the last days. That's wild, right? He just starts out and says, I'm going to tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So some people say that this is talking about is talking about in the end times. This is how things are going to be at the very end. And in fact, I'll show you one place where it it indicates that the things that are said have not ever, have not ever happened in the physical sense in the world. And that may be, it may in fact very well be that all this is about the very end of time. And so that we'll, we don't even really have a good understanding of it. That being said, as well as I do, the word of God's like an onion. It on the outside, it oftentimes has layers that seem very dry. And when I was young, I remember the word of God sometimes being very dry to me because I just didn't understand it. And you you know as well as I do, when you're studying God's word at the very start, you're trying to get mind, mind God's word yourself. It can be very dry on the outside. It can be at the very start, you're reading things and it just doesn't make sense. It's like a story that doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't flow to you. Now, if you're reading one of the gospels, obviously, that can be very powerful in Jesus in a new and powerful way. But if you start somewhere else in the Bible, you just really, it's like being plopped down in the middle of some somewhere and you don't know anything and you don't know anybody and you wander around aimlessly. But that being said, as you peel back the onion, the layers get more moist, more um, pungent, more powerful. You that that taste gets more real and alive, and it begins to uh, it begins to be what an onion is. It begins to 
fully, your eyes water because all that God is doing is flowing from it. And when we first look at the Word of God, it can at times struggle with it. And then as you dig down deep into what God's doing, what God's saying in His Word, as you dig down deep into it, God really functioning as as the Lord of the universe. He teaches and shows you things in ways that you just can't get any other way. He says, gather together that I might tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So he said, gather together. Now notice this is the start. If you're reading your own Bible, and I know many of you riding down the road, you'll see if you uh, stop and look at it, turn to it either, either in your Bible or even look it up on the internet, you'll see that it becomes, it looks like a poem. It looks like poetry. Verse two starts the poem and it says, gather, to get, gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel, your father. Now notice. He uses both names here, and that is that is a, a telltale sign that he's going to talk about not only the spiritual, but the physical. He's going to talk about the fleshly, sinful nature of Jacob, and then he's also going to talk about the, the spiritual, spirit-filled life of Jacob also. And his sons are going to carry on both aspects of that. They're going to, they're going to carry on both sides of the river. And oftentimes we, we try to, in some ways, separate those two out. And the Gnostics sure did in the New Testament. They said the, they're spiritual and they're physical, and they really don't have anything to do with each other. But you and I know for sure that the spiritual and the physical, they work together. There's no way, there's no way to really separate the two because the physical came from the spiritual. And the spiritual has so much influence over the physical. And the physical, in so many ways, reflects the spiritual as to cause it to be, as it cause it to be uh, unseparable. They, they function so well together. And when you're studying God's word and when you're going through life, you need to realize that the spiritual has every bit as much to do with what's going on around you as the physical does. And understanding that, knowing that God's at work all the time around you in the spiritual realms, and those spiritual realms are having such influence over your body, over your situation in life, over the circumstances that are happening around you, understanding that and knowing that and realizing that helps you see things properly as they really are. And so he says, gather together to hear you sons of Jacob, meaning we come from that physical flesh. And he says, and listen to Israel, your father. Notice we're coming from the flesh of Jacob, but he also says they're, they are the sons of promise, their father. Now, the first three are not going to be sons of promise. The first three are not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to walk in they're not going to get a blessing. They're going to get reality. And um, a lot of times you need to hear reality. You need to hear how things actually are. Uh, we talk about preachers stepping on your toes. We talk about the word of God smacking you upside the head. And sometimes that has to happen. Sometimes you have to have reality. And what's happened is it's of great importance to see this. Notice Reuben is the first one he mentions. And he's the first one he mentions because he's his firstborn. And in normal settings, the firstborn would re receive a double portion of the blessing. If they were, like I've said this and explained this in the past when we're going through Genesis, if there were 10 sons, there would be 11 portions, and the firstborn would get two of those 11 portions, and the other nine would each get a portion. 
the inheritance was split so that the firstborn would get a double portion of the blessing. But it's not the case with Reuben. And the reason it's not the case with Reuben is because of Reuben's character. You know, who you are and who you and how you live out your life has consequences. It does result in things happening or things not happening. Your failure to realize that the spiritual is ongoing around you and you fa- and your failure to engage the spirit, engage God's work in your life, engage who he is and what he's doing around you is costly. And oftentimes your unwillingness to engage who God is around you, oftentimes it causes you to miss out on what God's doing and causes you to wander into sin and wander into your own flesh. And rather than being the child of your father, Israel, you become your son, the son of Jacob. And there's two, two totally different roads there. I want to be the child of my father who is spiritually giving me all the blessings of his throne room. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be the offspring of the flesh of my father, Adam, in the world. I don't want to be, I don't want to walk in that. Now, I do, and you do also, but that's not an excuse to continue on in it. It's time to wake up and allow your eyes to see. Reuben was his firstborn. He said, my might and the beginning of my strength. Notice, Reuben had every reason to have the best from his father. He says he was the very first one. He's the one who started this whole thing off. And everybody knows that your firstborn always has a special place in your heart because you just learn how to be parents with the firstborn. They, I was a firstborn child and I've known many others. I've had my own firstborn and really they're the ones you practice on being a good parent too. And their life might actually sometimes be a little bit of a struggle because you don't really know how to parent them. You don't really understand what it is to be a parent. I say to young people all the time, when they're about to have their firstborn child, I say to them, life will never be the same again. And it won't. Now, that's not a negative thing. That's not a curse. That's a blessing. Life life changes from being very self-centered to when you have a child, life becomes very pointed and 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 your whole focus begins to be taking care of this little one who can't do anything for itself. And so it changes you and it changes how you live your life and it changes your marriage, changes your relationships. And Reuben, Reuben was the firstborn and he's the beginning of his strength. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. What he's saying is Reuben had everything going for him. He had dignity and he had power. He had strength, and he had the ability to change the world he lived in. But notice what was wrong with Reuben. Even though he had the firstborn position, even though he had dignity, and that means stature, that means respect because of how he looked, and because he had outstanding power, meaning he had physical abilities, he had gifts, he had traits that would make him successful. He was unstable as water, which means there was nothing solid about him. He was wishy-washy. He went from one thing to the other. He never, ever found who he was. He never, ever figured out how his life was going to be. And because of that, he didn't excel. I've met so many young people who had great talents and gifts. They had great upbringing and great opportunity. 
And because they couldn't place their feet upon the rock, because they were unwilling to firm up their foundation and allow themselves to be rooted and grounded in God's word and God's purposes, they missed out on God's very best. They had great opportunity and they failed to achieve those possibilities. The reason they did is because they were unstable as water. They could not figure out how to root and ground themselves in who God is. And they always were searching themselves for their own purposes and their own will and their own blessings. And being unstable as as water costs you. It does cost you. And so many times we go to the new shiny thing. In spiritual, even in spiritual circumstances, we want to go to the thing that we want to go to the thing that is fun and we want to go to the thing that's enjoyable. And rather than actually sitting down and eating of the word of God and actually sitting down and letting God's word change our hearts and our minds, rather than actually sitting down and allowing God to focus us on what he's doing, what do we do? We wander to and fro here and there. And we're unstable because some weeks we may be with God's people and some weeks we may not be with God's people. Sometimes we're engaged in what God's doing and other times we're just engaged in what we're doing. Is that you? Being unstable as as water causes you to not excel. And notice, he says, you're unstable as water. You shall not excel. Because, and notice, because of that instability, you eventually wandered back in to the flesh and to sinfulness. And he went up to his father's bed and you defiled it. You went up to my couch. And what did he do? He had sexual relations with uh, one of his father's concubines. And uh, obviously he was a man of dignity. He had, he was a good looking guy. He was a man of excellent giftings. He had all the trappings of being someone of importance. And because he could not root himself in to a firm foundation, and remember, there's only one firm foundation. Because he couldn't root himself into that firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ, his instability cost him. And uh, he was unstable of water, and so he did not excel. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Notice, remember, you remember the story of Simeon and Levi and their sister. He says, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Notice, they were the ones who went and killed everyone in the village of the town of the man who had taken their sister. And you remember, it's not clear or evident that their sister didn't want to have sexual relations with that man and didn't want to be his husband. In fact, there's a strong likelihood that she did. But because it didn't function in the way they wanted it to function, because it didn't happen the way they wanted it to happen, what did they do? They destroyed them. And they destroyed them, notice, that came from, not from the action, but notice, as their brother, as their brother Reuben above, it came from their character. What was Reuben's character? Reuben's character was he was unstable as water. What was Simeon and Levi's character? Their character was cruelty. And that cruelty went all the way to where they lived in the inner section of who they are. That cruelty grew out of their own character. And you go, if somebody has that character, how can they have the blessing of God? You don't have to function in your character. You can learn the character of God and function in his character. 
Your character can be changed. Your character can be altered. If there was no way for a person's character to be made in the image of God, there would be no purpose in us being redeemed. We are redeemed not just so that we can't go to, so that we won't go to hell. We're redeemed not for the purpose of just being back in in relation to God. We're redeemed so that we might glorify Him by His nature becoming our nature and His character becoming our character. And if you're unstable as water, as Reuben was, or if you're cruel and hateful and bitter on the inside, as Simeon and Levi are, that can be changed. And it should be changed. He said, he says, let not their, let not my soul enter their council. Notice they're such wicked, cruel, hateful people that he says, I don't want to be around them. It's a great lesson for you in life. If there's someone around you who is cruel and hateful, who does wicked things to people, and when I say wicked things, they're just mean. I'm going to tell you, I've had clients come into my office and want to hire me to help them with situations. And then after my conversation with them, I came to the understanding that they were hotheads, they were cruel, they were mean, they, were th- they would do anything to anybody for their own self-satisfaction, just to satisfy their own personal desires. And I offered to represent them at 10 times the normal price. If they wanted me to represent them, that'd be fine. They're just going to pay me a whole lot of money. Now, obviously, they weren't going to hire me. If it's a $2,000 job and I quoted them a $20,000 price, they're not going to hire me to do that. And the reason I quoted that high price is, is because I didn't want to work for them. I want to be around them. I didn't want that, that cruelty and that meanness and that wickedness to, to be around me. And he says, let not my soul enter their counsel. That reminds me of Genesis Psalm chapter one again. Blessed is man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinner. I don't want to be around people who have a natural inclination to be cruel and hateful to other people. Cruel and hateful people end up destroying everything they touch and they destroy everybody they're around. And you need to hear that. Uh, If that's who you are, or if that's how your mind operates, you need to seek the counsel of God. You need to sit at the feet of Jesus. You need to learn the law of love in the New Testament. And you need to learn how to uh, not be cruel and hateful, not be bitter and soulful. You need to be full of God's love. And the only way for that to happen is you got to let God change your heart. And that can be done. He said, let not my honor be united with their assembly. Notice, I'm not having anything to do with them. That's what that means. He says, I don't want who I am and my character to be united with them and hanging out with them. And uh, man, what a powerful word that is. He he says in the Bible, in in Proverbs, a couple of times, says, don't hang out with hot-headed people. Don't hang out with mean, cruel people. You sit down and you be real with them. And if they can't change the way they are, move on. Don't hang out with them. Don't allow your assembly to be united with those type of people. And so many times, listen, cruel people can move ahead in the flesh. And we've seen that throughout world history. Hateful, mean, ugly people can move ahead in the flesh. But let me tell you something. In the end, they destroy everything they have. They may may assemble a lot of power, a lot of strength. They may assemble a lot of... uh, possessions, but in the end, 
they'll ultimately destroy themselves and destroy anybody else who's hooked to their ship. And when that ship goes down, it'll drag everything that's tied to it with it. He said, for in their anger, they slew a man. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. Notice, that God has a curse for that. You go, God's anger and wrathful. Yeah, but he's, his anger's righteous. He's not made us to be, not made us to be, a tool of his anger and his judgment. We're a trophy of his grace. God gets to choose who to be wrathful and angry toward. And uh, he He chooses rightly. You don't choose rightly. If you're done wrong, what is the Bible's prescription for someone who's done you wrong? Well, for us, it's to forgive them. For God, it's his inclination to forgive them. And he only turns to anger and wrath when there is no other, there is no other road to be taken. That person is never, ever going to do right. But you don't know that. You don't have the understanding, the insight, the eternality of God to be able to make that decision. And so if you're going to walk around in anger and wrath toward others, let me tell you something. You're functioning in a field you're not equipped or capable of functioning in. You've got to, you've got to turn yourself around and figure out what you were actually made for. And the, what you were made for is God's grace and mercy. That anger and that bitterness in your heart. And let me tell you something. I know this from reality. I know this in my own self. All right. I know from my own heart that anger and bitterness lead to death and destruction. They bring about nothing godly and they bring about nothing good. And if that is something that you struggle with, you need to struggle with that at the altar of God. You need to allow God to change your heart. I knew what it be meant to be a pugnacious and a, a fighter. I knew what it meant to be mean and cruel when I needed to be. I, I know that. I know that nature. I know that that person. And I, I knew that at some point in time in my very early adulthood, I realized that nature that was that was in me needed to be removed. And the only way for it to be removed was at the foot of the cross and to be changed. And uh, sometimes I even feel it well up in me again to be a fighter and to be cruel and to be attacking. Um, and I have to, when that comes up, I have to remember that's not godly and it's not God's way of doing things. And it's not, he's not going to, I'm not going to be walking in my father Israel. I'm going to be, I'm going to be mired in my flesh of Jacob. And I choose not to walk in that. And uh, he says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Notice both these tribes, neither one of these tribes have a actual place in the promised land. And they're scattered among the tribes. They don't actually have their own homeland in the promised land. And that's a picture of a believer who does not walk in love and peace, but he walks in anger and bitterness. And when you do that, you do not have a place in the spiritual purposes of God in the world you live in. And that's a stark understanding of that passage, but it's an important understanding. And I'd say to you, if that's you today, pray that God will open up your heart and change you. Pray that God will remove that root of bitterness in your own heart, in your own life, and that you'll find peace with God and peace with those around you. And you'll learn to see them with the eyes of grace that God has for them. And you'll see people with God's purpose and God's will and not your own. If you'll do that, I promise you, it can change the heart. 
He can change the heart of men, and he changes your heart also. And so I pray that will be the case for you. And uh, as we go through these blessings and cursings, it's important that you see uh, how God acts and works and moves. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he give you hope and peace as you go today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.